Wow, welcome to the New Renaissance Podcast. What's going on? Thanks for having me. It's been How great. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Doing well. So looking forward to sitting down with you. Awesome. Well, I just read your book. You just came out with a book right here, Our Heart's Desire, and it is such an awesome book. And it really talks about the importance of story, and it goes through a lot of your story and background. And so first off, I just want to talk a little, little bit about who you are. And so what I know you were a former so I grow baseball player. And so what do you do now? Yeah, so I played for a couple of years in minor league baseball. Like you said, played for the Blue Jays, played for the Cardinals. I grew up in Southern California, went to the University of Southern California, USC, which was my dream school. But now I live in Nashville, Tennessee, here about five years ago after I retired. And it's been awesome. I grew up, like I said, in Southern California. And you can be a Christian there, but it's definitely not the culture. So coming to the South and being in the Bible Belt was very much yes. a, a welcomed thing for me. I, like, yeah. I feel right at home here. I actually have the same story. I am from California and moved here first in high school. And then I moved back to California for seven years and then back East to Charlotte about five years, about six years ago. Yep. So, uh, yeah. You and I were not the first and we will not be the last. <laughs> yeah, no, that's great. It's such a, it was a culture shock for me. That's for sure. <laughs> mm-hmm. In a good way, I've experienced. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, let's talk about a little bit about the book. My, I love, really, really love how you emphasize the importance of story and why that matters. Um, why do our stories matter? Yeah, I mean, the, again, the, the title of the book, Our Heart's Desire, but then the subtitle, How Our Stories Reveal the Thing We Want Most, that subtitle is really twofold in that I basically, for those who haven't heard of it, haven't read it, I basically tell the Bible through stories. So I'll take The Dark Knight, The Hunger Games, Saving Private Ryan, and pull a scene from those movies, use it to illustrate a point, and then explain when that actually happened in Scripture. And so how our stories reveal the thing we want most, my premise of this book is we keep telling this same story over and over and over again. It's the hero, it's the villain, it's the love interest to be saved. You start in paradise. That paradise is soon undone. And then you spend 200 pages or two hours, if it's a movie, trying to restore that paradise. It's the it's the same. And so what I write in the book and what I truly believe is we keep telling stories like The Dark Knight, The Hunger Games, Saving Private Ryan, because we were born into that story. God is our author made us to recognize that story, made us to long for that story. And that's why you could have, you might even have an agnostic writer. Could be a novelist, could be a screenwriter, whatever it is. Somebody who's not even thinking about God or maybe hasn't even cracked open the Bible will still tell that story. Hero, villain, love interest, start in paradise, end in paradise. And that's what we want. Every good, that's every good story. Yes. And so... Like I said, that subtitle, How Our Stories Reveal the Thing We Want Most, the second part of that is also the stories that we're telling ourselves on the inside. And they're oftentimes the wrong story. So for me and my personal journey, like I said, I played for four years in the minor leagues and my dream was to get to the big leagues. Of course, that's what, you know, that's what you, you're trying to, it's a mountain that you're trying to climb. But I wasn't a world-class baseball player. 
I was good, but I was not great. I was a 26 round draft pick. I was number 774 overall. Toronto Blue Jays called me and they said, Hey, will you take a thousand dollars and a plane ticket? It's like, duh, of course I will. Cause I thought my baseball career was over. And then they gave me another uniform to keep playing. And so the story that I was telling myself was if I could only get to the big leagues, dot, dot, dot. And then you just insert a bunch of lies as the second half of that sentence. If I could only get to the big leagues, I would be respected. If I could get to the big leagues, I would be a man. I'd be able to connect with my father in a deeper way. I'd be set for life. Just all these lies. And so those stories were revealing what I wanted most, which was security, purpose, love, affection, community, all these things that I thought Major League Baseball would bring to me. And as I've come to learn, and hopefully you as the listener have learned as well, those things just don't provide that, at least not in totality. It's like amazing meal that you sit down for. It's awesome for that half hour. And then you're full and you're kind of like, eh, I'm over it. Now I'm on to the next thing, right? Yeah. Four yeah. hours later, you're hungry again. So at that phase of my life, the big leagues was just the next iteration of that. And it was a huge thing because I mean, there's, there's a thousand major league baseball players in the world. You know, there's 500 major league pitchers in the world. So I wanted to be one of the top 500 on the planet in any industry. Like that's a, it's a really difficult thing. And so what that meant is I could continue to sacrifice and work and work. It's just, it's a very, like a very American type of lifestyle. And I'm not saying being a minor league baseball player. I'm saying being the chaser of dreams, like, oh, if I could just get this, yeah, this, you know, if I could make the big leagues, if I could get this job, if I could get this girl, then I'll really have it. And yeah. Fortunately for me, and I talk about this in the book, I failed enough. I failed big enough, early enough, that I learned that lesson and officially became a Christian because I grew up in the church, going to a Christian middle school, Christian high school, around the church quite a bit. But if Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, I don't think I was a Christian until all that happened, which I was, I was about 25 when that went down because yeah. Yeah. Jesus is saying like it, and nobody does it perfectly. We're all still sinners. We might sin less as time goes on, but we're all still fallen. But he's saying, if you love me, there's going to be a general direction in your life where people will see a stark shift like, oh, okay. Bob became a Christian when he was 25. Well, how do you know? Well, he started listening to different music. He started hanging out with different people. He started watching different movies. He stopped cussing, didn't drink as much, like, like change, change, change. And so, yeah, Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. I, I didn't love him in that regard until I was 25. And it was only these failures hurt so badly that I gave my life over to God. Yeah. And I love that. Thanks for sharing. I think, and part of the, part of that issue and everyone's issue is that we see wrongly that we think that we're the protagonist in the story, like the most important character. Um, and yeah. so I love how you talk about that in the book about how we're actually not the protagonist. And so 
Um, yeah, I want to go back to that and and ask you, how do we move? What's the benefit of seeing ourselves in the true story and the fact that we're not the protagonist and that we're the supporting actor? Well, yeah. So, I mean, when it comes to any story, a story is told through the life of a hero, a main character, a protagonist. And when we say hero, you might think like, oh, Superman, Batman, Spider-Man. Like, it could be a female as well. Candace Everdeen is the hero, the protagonist of The yeah. Hunger Games. But that story is about her, about her specifically. Every other character is there to support her story. And so that's one thing, especially as an athlete, you can fall into that trap thinking that you are the protagonist of your own story. Because a lot of people say that. You'll hear things like, it's your career, or it's, you know, it's your work that's going to pay off. You, you talk about guys that I grew up like really trying to emulate. You, you know, I grew up in Southern California. You got Kobe Bryant, the Mamba mentality. It's like, you will get out of life what you put into life. You are you are the captain of this ship. You are the master of your fate. And biblically speaking, that's just not true. This is not accurate. Now, we're all living our own journeys, our own stories in a sense, like we all have one life to or into one specific body. But where you get into trouble is when you think of yourself as the main character of the story. Like the danger might be, let's say you have like a motivational speaker who's on stage and you'll even hear this from Christian stages or pulpits. Like God wants you to do amazing things. God made you to be a world changer. Like whatever is said. Maybe, but also maybe not. Like if you think about the story of Moses, there's one Moses. There was 3 million Israelites whose names aren't in the Bible. And are we to think that like, in terms of Moses compared to those people that they had any sort of different standing before God. Like Moses had a, a bigger calling, maybe more responsibility, but they're still God's children. Yeah. And even even if like, you're the leader, even if you're the leader in like an organization or a captain of your team, you're still in the in the overall story of the world, you're still a supporting act. One hundred percent. And so if you look at life through that paradigm where this is my story. God has given me my story and I was supposed to make the most of it. Or I'm really supposed to, like, I'm supposed to just be a superhero for God. Like, I think you can kind of Christianize that selfishness and it's still selfishness. Like Jesus says, whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So it's not until you look at your life and say, hey, God, here's every, here's everything. Here are yeah, my, no. my hopes, my dreams, my wants my relationships, my passions, here is my life. I'm losing it for you. That's when he says, you'll find it. That's when life starts making sense. That is, if we translate it into story jargon, that's when you realized, oh, okay, I am a supporting character in this master story that I was born into. This story about God, Jesus being the visible expression of that invisible God, I'm here to support that story however I can. And it might be, you know, we're, was it innocent bystander number three that just walks by, you know, it's like, oh, extra, extra number 18. But you could even look at the villain of a story. Like even the villain, the bad guy is there to support the story of the protagonist. Because what that villain does is it allows the hero to 
or her strength to reveal his or her character, to come through for the love interest, to come through for other supporting characters, be the hero. Like the hero isn't in need unless there's a villain. So just everything, the, the story is told through and about a hero and everyone else is there to support that story. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, that's so, so well put. Um, the importance of realizing that we're in a story far bigger than ourselves really helps put you in a like proper perspective and like shows you that like while we still matter and like everything we do matters, but we're not the the only thing that matters. Essentially, there's so much more out there, and that really shifts our perspective into working for the things that do matter. Well, and how humbling is that? Because that's the exact opposite of what you hear on television or in secular worldly circles, right? Like that, that is the exact opposite. You will never lose your life and then you'll find it on television. It's about yeah. get yours, work harder, American dream, or, you know, there's so many iterations of it. Yeah. And I think another thing, not when we're deeper into that exact, yeah. you just said that mentality because, you know, we, we talked about Kobe and, um, there's so many podcasts now and a lot of guys fall into that trap of yeah we're always we're always working uh it's a growth mentality like no matter what we're sacrificing everything to grow and then you talk about being a lot that kind of like that that way in your book and so how do you mm -hmm. how do you reframe rest in that perspective and how, how do you look at it differently now yeah it's it's a great question and again I think I have two things working against me in that regard. Number one, I'm an athlete. Number two, I'm an American. Like, bad combo. Athletes are yeah. supposed to work hard. Americans <laughs> are really supposed to work hard. That's kind of like what yeah. we're for. That's the quote, the American dream. Exactly. But I want to be a Christian. I want to be a follower of Christ. I don't want to be some sort of American reprint or, you know, the... And, dude, I was a huge Kobe guy. Like, right. he, yeah. he was my guy, you know? Uh, but there are some things, and this isn't like a rag on Kobe episode yeah, at like all, either. but like that, that mentality where it's, I will do anything to be successful. I would just say, you need to consider what your goals are because you might get exactly what you want and that might be terrible for you because... If you're like a Kobe Bryant, you're a five-time NBA champion, and you know you scored thousands and thousands of points, you have literal statues of yourself in front of arenas, it seems like you've, you've kind of made it. But that does nothing to solve your sin problem. That does nothing to answer the question, what will happen when I die? So, yeah, to bring it back to your question as far as the rest thing, as someone who has tried to give his life over to God as best I can. You know, I, and I talk about this in my book. I read the Bible cover to cover every year. This will be the sixth year in a row that I've done that. That's not to to brag or anything. It's, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to sound impressive by saying that. I'm just doing the best I can to be, to actually live it out. Say like, okay, if, if, I'm a, if I'm a Christian, what does that actually mean? It's not just somebody who goes to church once a week and talks to God for that hour. Like, I want it to be who I am, so I'm constantly reminding myself of the story that God has written in his word. And in his word, he commands rest. 
he also exemplifies rest. Like if you look at the rhythm of Jesus, he, I mean, he did plenty of work. Like he says, uh, I can't remember the exact quote, but something like, uh, you know, foxes have dens, but the son of man is nowhere to lay his head. Like I am constantly working in my ministry. That's what he's saying. But you could also look at other examples where he chose to rest when he didn't have to. Like you look at the scene with Martha and Mary, two sisters, Martha's in the kitchen, slaving away, making this awesome meal for Jesus and his disciples. Mary, who probably should be in the kitchen helping, is just sitting at Jesus's feet. And then Martha comes in. She's like, Lord, what's up with my sister? Like, tell her to get in the kitchen and help me out with this. And Jesus says, no, Mary has chosen the right thing. Martha, you are, you are anxious over much serving. Like, rest with us because we're just getting busy enjoying each other. So when you see something like that, like that's the anti-mama mentality, right? And I'm not, you could you could be a hard worker and still enjoy, but you will not really see that in American culture. So for me, it started as a command where it's like, okay, well, God, God says we have to rest. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Okay, cool. I, I guess I'm going to keep that command. But then also just understanding his wisdom and like if, if I took the other side of the coin, let's say I didn't rest ever and I'm just crushing sales calls and I make all them in the world and all this stuff. Again, what is my goal? Is my goal to air quote win at life? Like to make, to make a bunch of money and to have my statue in front of arenas and like be awesome in the eyes of people. I might achieve that, and that would be a terrible goal. Like, set a better goal. Goal should be, I want to love God. Mm -hmm. I want to be loved by God. I want to spend forever with him because death is undefeated, and one day I'm going to see that. So, yeah, that I mean, that's, that's where it all comes in, just having an eternal perspective and being okay with, you know, I'm not going to take the extra sales call today. I'm going to work extremely hard on, you know, my nine to five or whatever I've allocated. Like, hey, this is work time and this is rest time. So, again, it's just so countercultural. But if you've lost your life, you've given it to God, you say, I will do whatever you say. Who cares, right? Like, we're, we're not the one steering the shit anymore we're the follower yeah i think it's helpful too just to set some some like some boundaries and maybe maybe a sabbath of i'm of of having a boundary of yourself and saying like i'm not going to go out like twice a week or on sundays i'm yeah. anything except my most restful things i'm gonna stop being community twice a week um like yeah patterns like that do you what what are one or two ways you you do that as far as like developing uh, good habits and, and rest in my life? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So one thing that I actually instituted this year was uh, a 9 p.m. curfew on technology. So yeah. no phone, yeah, no computer. Honestly, if it's a Friday or Saturday and we're watching a movie or something and it spills over to 10 o'clock, not the end of the world. But yeah. if it's on a Tuesday, like phone is off. I'm not having a text conversation at 9.08. Like it is, it is off at nine. 
And then I'm typically, you know, during that next half hour, I'm reading, I'm having some sort of downtime. Maybe I stretch something like that. And then I try to be lights out asleep at 10 and I wake up at six the next day. So I think the literal sleep portion of rest is really important. I just always try to get, get those eight hours, but it really starts that, that time before, you know, I don't want to be on a zoom call recording a podcast or, you know, scrolling Instagram until nine fifty eight, And then I roll into bed. Like I haven't, I haven't primed my body for that. And also just with, I have a full-time job. I manage a sales team and that, there's a lot of responsibility there. And then I also have my, you know, my authorship stuff. I co-host a podcast. Fortunately, I'm single, no wife, no kids. I'd love those things one day. That's just not the season that I'm in, but that allows me to do more things. And so a lot of my time is specifically allocated like, okay, you know, I'm waking up at 6 a.m. I'm doing my Bible in a year. It's probably about 30 minutes or so. Prayer, shower, I'm downstairs at 7. Then, you know, the 7 to 8.30 window is usually like a personal development time where either I'm doing some sort of, you know, connections with casting. I've started writing my second book, doing research in that regard. Then it's, then it's work time, you know, from from 8.30 to 5.30 or whatever it ends up being. And then I always try to hit the gym. It's not a daily necessarily, but like, I want to, I want to get my heart rate up probably five or six times a week. I don't work out on Sundays. That's just, you know, the day of rest right. for me. I think as far as like a, some sort of prescription on the Sabbath, I think the apostle Paul makes it pretty clear in saying that we don't have to adhere to like a strict Sabbath, like old Testament, old Testament believers did because Jesus is our rest. Like their, their practice of Sabbath, Friday, sundown to Saturday at sundown, that was a shade. That was a, a, a preamble of what was to come. Now we have Christ and our rest is in him forever and always. It's on a, on a Tuesday at 3 p.m. We have rest in Jesus. The Sabbath was just kind of like a, a foreshadowing of that. But I do think if God rested on the seventh day, after creating for six, you know, it's probably a good rhythm to be in, to take that Sunday off, to enjoy time with fam football game or whatever it is. But yeah, bringing it back to your question, I technology's off at nine o'clock. I pretty much go to bed at the same time every night. I basically wake up at the same time every day. So I don't, I'm not trying to throw my body off at all. As far as sleep, I throw it off in the gym and just, it's, it's, I don't think I've been sick in, in maybe three, four years, but I'm just trying to do the best I can to take care of myself. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I love what you said about the technology uh, boundary there. That's, that's really great. I've, I've read, I've read before too, that reading before bed is one of the best things you can do because it's like you're prepping your brain to go to sleep. And so that helps your recovery. Um, I'd love to hear what, what's your podcast called and what would you guys talk about yeah so the podcast is called that single show it's sponsored by kcvi christian radio in dallas and i'm a co-host so i have a partner on the show her name's kelly corday she's been in christian radio for 
a long time. She was in St. Louis for a bit in Nashville where she and I met and then moved to Texas most recently. And, uh, I'm, you know, never been married. She is a widow. Her husband passed maybe six or seven years ago with cancer. And so she and I kind of joined forces in looking at this singleness question from both of those angles, male and female married, never married. And it's just a, just a ministry for Christians who are in that walk of life. And I think about what the apostle Paul says in first Corinthians seven, he being a single man says, yeah, if I had it my way, you would remain single. <laughs> if you're married, you will have worldly trouble and I would spare you from that. And he's not saying that it's wrong to be married. Like he goes on to say, if, look, if you're burning with passion, by all means, get married. It's all good. But there are advantages to being single. There just are. Like yeah. the, the schedule that I'm running right now, I think it would probably be a negative on a marriage or on, you know, if I had kids, like I want to be at their soccer game. You know, I can't be probably not going to the gym five, six days a week with soccer games. Right. So Paul is saying, Hey, like there, there are some advantages to this. And he says that as a single person, you will have wholehearted devotion to God. Like you're not worried about a boyfriend, girlfriend, fiance, spouse. You're worried about the things of God. So in our show, that single show, it's not like a, Hey, here's how to find a wife in 30 days type of show. Oh, we were very clear on the front end. Like, Hey, if you're looking for, you know, for romance stuff, like this is not, this is not that if you're looking for God, come one, come all like that. <laughs> that's what this show is about. But we'll talk about, uh, some relationships. We'll talk about money. We'll talk about, um, you know, professional goals and stuff like that. It's just a show specifically for the person who's single because there's different advantages. There's also different pain points for that person. We're just trying to meet them where they are. I love that too. And I mean, on, I mean, single people are, I think the majority now, uh, in America. So I think that's under an underserved audience for sure. Yeah. A, a great work, that, great work on that. Um, I want to go back to, uh, what, what you kind of talk about in the book actually is when take, take us back to the moment in the beginning, when you talk about going through a really hard breakup and finding your way and sort of your path, your next steps. And so, um, how did you get through that moment and what are, what's some advice you can give for other guys that are going through that right now or, or something big, like a, a job loss where it's like life changing and they are really struggling with like figuring out what the point of life is and just going through a lot of pain. Yeah. Well, I won't give away too much by saying this, but in chapter one of my book, I'm a bit of a mess. <laughs> I, I really am. Like I, I was heartbroken two times over. The first time was in a relationship that I'd actually been in for several years. And that relationship ended because she wasn't a believer. And like I said, I had been with her for a long time. We met in college and this girl was awesome. Awesome. Love sports. Great friend. I was super attracted to her. Like if, if she was a believer, I probably never would have moved to Nashville. Like that was the only thing that was missing. It just happened to be the biggest thing. <laughs> like if the Bible says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, I was. And, you know, I ended up calling things off as difficult as that was. It felt like the right 
it's tough to be leaving someone that you still love you know, mm-hmm. in a sense, but I just knew like, Hey, this is, this is not, this is not right. And I'm giving my life to God and it feels increasingly wrong. There's something off here. So, you know, I left that relationship. And then the first chapter of my book, I explained there was a girl here in Nashville that I felt like God had specifically highlighted for me. Yet I felt like you said I wasn't allowed to pursue her. Like there, it, I can't really explain how or what that felt like. There was just like a block. It's like, yeah, like I have, like she's the one that I have highlighted for you or so I thought, but you're not allowed to ask her out. And this, this lasted like months, even went years. I finally feel the freedom to ask her out. And there's like the most anticlimactic result. Like she just says, no, not feeling it. And so that's basically chapter one of my book where it's like, man, God, I thought, I thought you had, I thought you had my back. I thought you were telling me to do that. And story that's written on my heart, the hero, the villain, the love interest to be saved. This is my love interest. Like why, why did you not let me be that for her? Yeah. And that's, that's what kind of ignited this realization in me. That story that I wanted was perfectly good, perfectly right, writ heart. However, I had the roles reversed. I'm not supposed to be that hero. I am the love interest. We are the love interest as the church. And so we'll be that, quote, love interest to be saved when Christ returns and makes everything. We will have that paradise longing for. And so that's kind of what spurred on the book when I just, it was a total paradigm shift for me because I was studying stories at that same time while going through that painful experience and reading the Bible in a year. So it was like those two worlds completely meshed and that's when everything clicked. But as far as uh, what I would say to somebody who's gone through something similar, number one, I would, I don't know if encourage is the right word. I would just, I would remind you of what Jesus says. He says, in this world, you will have trouble. So that's a guarantee. Like we shouldn't be surprised when it happens. That doesn't mean it's going to be any less fun. Like, oh, Bob's told me to remember what Jesus said. Like, it's still going to be painful, but maybe it changes things a little bit just when you know on the front end, like, hey, like this world is not as it should be. It's not. Your relationships are not as it should be. Your work is not as it should be. So everything that you want in terms of perfect relationships, perfect companionship, perfect work, whatever I be, you will have those things in the next life. Because right now we're living in this fallen world. So again, just like pay attention to that desire, how our stories reveal the thing we want most. Oh, I want a job where my boss doesn't yell at me all the time. Or I want I want a job where I'm not, you know, I, I, I hate waking up in the morning. Oh, you totally will. You will in heaven. Adam had a job before sin entered the world. We we should love work. We will love work one day. We don't right now. So, yeah, yeah I would just encourage that person to, the best way to put it is just zoom out. Zoom out. Like, you might be so focused on your story, your circumstances. Zoom out. Take a look at the entire story and just remember, everything that you want, you will have, but we're not the author of this story. That perfect work, perfect relationship, perfect companionship, those things will be given to us in God's way.
because he's the author. We can't make this story speed up at all. We're just living it day by day. So I hope that's encouraging. It's been it's been encouraging to me. It still takes discipline because like I'm I'm still a fallen human. I still have once need once needs desires that don't get met. I'm like, oh man, what is the deal? Like it's it's not like the struggle ends, but it just gives you peace understanding what's going on. If you have an athletic trainer that says, Hey, we're gonna do we're gonna do planks. We're gonna do a plank for two minutes and it's really gonna hurt. It's like it's hurt you still through that plank for two minutes, but you know, like, okay, I have this, I have this advocate, I have this trainer, I have this person who is hurting me intentionally with the end goal in mind. It's exactly what God says he does to us. It's just in a spiritual, uh, emotional, relational sense. Yeah, that, that's awesome. I think that's great advice in, in zooming out when we're going to do something really hard. Uh, I said something similar to, to one of my friends who went through a, a big, he, he got laid off from his job in, in the tech industry and it's like a ton of anxiety, obviously. But I think that that advice is really important because in the moment we, it's, it's like your whole focus is extremely narrowed on what's happening in the moment is all that's happening is like pain and fear and, and zooming out is, is really what true perspective is and like looking at the real story, the, the full story and not just this one tiny thing happening in the moment, even though it's, even though it's definitely painful and scary, but this small thing that happens in your life, is not going to kill you? It's not going, it shouldn't paralyze us every time that we go through something, even, even painful and scary. Um, and just realizing, realizing that I think is, is a good way to grow. Definitely. Well, and it, Matt, if I could say something else, because I don't want that to sound cold or impersonal, like, oh, just zoom out. You'll get over it. Like, be a man, be tough. Like, there's some truth to that. But if that's the only thing you say, that's not complete. So the same God who's using our difficulties to shape us, to make us stronger, to make us more like him. I think he also allows us to go through trials to make us dependent on others. Effort. To make us dependent on him, like maybe for life, just like because of a season of great trial, maybe your friendships, maybe the, the relationships to those around you, maybe you start asking for help. And before you had always been the tough guy who just like, ah, oh, I've, I've got this covered. I don't need anything ever. I just give because I'm so strong on account of me being Superman. Like, I think God allows us to go through difficult things to understand you're not Superman, bro. You're, you're not, you need other people and life is better when you have other people. Life is better when you lean on friends, family, mentors, whatever. So I just wanted to couple what I said, like, by all means, zoom out, remember the full story, but also there's nothing wrong with needing and asking for help. That might be one of the lessons that you're learning in this season of difficulty because that, that is always on God's agenda. <laughs> Some people are just quicker to it than others. Yes. Uh, guys specifically have really hard time and we're, we're terrible at asking for help. And at least I am anyway. I don't know how you've been in the past with it, but I'm like, a guy. I was awful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's the, it's like one of the last thing we do naturally, but 
we should be doing it a lot earlier in the process. And because there's, there's people that like God wants to help out and there's people out there always who want to help you no matter what you're going through. And, uh, I think that's super important and that's, it's, a, it's one of the biggest problems actually with, with guys. And because we don't, we don't talk about it. We don't ask for it. Instead, we turn a lot of times to addiction and negative things to cope and, and, um, yeah, that's the, the real, the real truth is that you, you have to face, uh, the pain before you can really come out of it. And, um, you have to walk through that with others. And that's such a, that's such a huge point. Yeah. Well said. Well said. Awesome. Uh, well, anything else, Bob, that you want to share specifically, anything on your mind? Yeah. I would just say if, if you'd like to connect by all means, I'd love to hear from you as a listener, uh, you could go to my website, bobwheatley.com. Everything about the book is there. We're also selling it on Amazon. Or if you want to connect on social, it's just at Bob Wheatley. Love to hear from you. Yeah. And it's been, it's been great. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Awesome. And your podcast is called what again? That Single Show. And that is, that's on Spotify and Apple. Spotify, Apple, KCBI Radio. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Bob, for the book. Please go out and buy the book and we can talk about it uh everybody else and yeah thanks so much bob for coming on the show thanks you too